global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. for your spiritual blessing as we study your word and we understand the last days, the time in which we are right now. Send your spirit, we pray. Give us truth, give us discernment and understanding. Give us conviction and courage and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host today, and we are continuing on with our series on the book of Revelation. The last session we had was really, really intense. And I want to back up and ask about this Mark of the Beast seal of God crisis that's coming. Are there some very practical ways that in our lives today we can prepare to receive the seal of God and avoid the Mark of the Beast? Is there... A strategy and method whereby Satan is seeking to set up our minds so that they are much more deceivable, much more easily deceived. He has been called neuroscience's most famous patient. A 25-year-old railway construction worker named Phineas Gage went to work on his job as a railway construction foreman one day in September of 1843. Now, before the day was over, He was no longer himself. Let me explain. He was in charge of the blasting in a mountainous area near Cavendish, Vermont. Someone had forgotten to cover the gunpowder where they set the spark to blast away the rock. They had forgotten to cover the gunpowder with sand. And when Phineas Gage pushed his tamping iron into a hole filled with gunpowder, well, a spark was produced that created an explosion which sent the three-foot-long, one-inch-thick metal bar that he was tamping into the ground with his head over it, sent it hurtling right back toward him in the air, exploding at his head. The bar hit just under Phineas Gage's left cheekbone and literally went through his head, behind his eye, and came out the top of his head, behind his hairline. And in fact, that bar just kept on going and landed about eight feet away. You figure a guy uh, who's been subject to a wound like that would die, but he actually survived, making a full recovery except from losing his eyesight in one eye. Now, the fascinating thing about this story and the way that it relates to the topic of the mark of the beast and the seal of God and our minds, Phineas Gage was actually a very upstanding guy. He was a model husband. He was a father, a regular churchgoer. After this accident, though, his character changed dramatically. He lost his job. He stopped going to church. He abandoned his family. He went off and joined a traveling circus. He went from godly husband and father to a rude, crude, cursing, drinking philanderer. And we're looking at that going, what in the world happened to Phineas Gage? What changed his moral and spiritual compass so badly? Well, after he died, 
his doctor asked for permission to exhume his body. The accident, it turns out, had damaged the frontal lobe of his brain, which we'll talk about in just a moment, damaged it dramatically. Phineas's skull actually can still be seen, and the tamping iron, they kept it at the, it's, it's housed at the Warren Anatomical Museum in Harvard University. So this is an amazing story. Phineas Gage being skewered by this tamping iron and it damaging his frontal lobe and affecting his character. What does this amazing story have to do with Bible prophecy? Remember that we are standing upon the precipice of the greatest crisis that the world has ever seen. The birth pangs of the signs of the times are increasing in their intensity, and a time of trouble like there never was since there was a nation is coming. Each person right now is taking their stand on one side or the other, with Christ or with Satan, taking the seal of God or the mark of the beast. And you know what this spiritual battle is over? It is over our minds. Where is the seal of God placed? In the forehead. What's behind the forehead? Your brain, specifically the frontal lobe of your brain, the key area that was damaged by Phineas Gage and totally changed his spiritual life. Well, modern science actually corroborates with this understanding of the seal of God being placed in the forehead because when you study the frontal lobe of the brain, it is the seat of sound judgment, reasoning, intellect, the the exercise of the will, spirituality, morality, This is the area of our spiritual, human, physiological nature where we make decisions each day, where we walk by faith with Jesus each day. Prayer, worship, discerning spiritual truth, altruistic love for God and others. All of these things fire off in our brains in the frontal lobe. So will I take my stand on Christ's side? Will I gain victory over Satan's temptations? The battle all takes place here. The battle is for your mind. The brain, if you think about it this way, is the spiritual epicenter of the human person. You don't have inside of your body some floaty soul or spirit thing that can leave your body when you die. That's Greek paganism. We already saw what the Bible teaches about that. It's just not true at all. Faith and hope and love and trust and obedience all take place in our brain. They are neurological circuits that fire, particularly in the frontal lobe, This is the spiritual organ of our body. So if that's the case, you can count on the fact that Satan is going to try to disrupt our brains, to reduce our frontal lobe functioning. And if he can weaken the circuits of our spiritual decisions, if he can weaken the circuits in our brain of spiritual discernment, if he can reduce our frontal lobe functioning, then he can interrupt our relationship with Christ. He can prevent our minds from being transformed so that he can conform our minds, deceive distort, distract, disrupt. Have you ever read in Romans 1, I'm sorry, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2? It's an amazing text that links both the body and the mind together. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, your spiritual act of worship, some translations say. So what we do with our bodies is actually a spiritual act of worship. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians calls the body the temple of God, the temple of the living God. And he says that if we defile the temple, I mean, we're in the time, folks, of the heavenly sanctuary cleansing, and our body is the temple, and there's a heavenly temple that's being cleansed right now and sins being blotted out. 
it's a very serious time to make sure that our earthly temple is being cleansed too. Cleansed of sin. Cleansed of defilement. Not just the physical health, but the spiritual as well are fused. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, is what Paul says next. He says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, and then your mind will be transformed. Have you ever noticed there's a connection between the body and the mind? Where the mind is being transformed, where we will be receiving the seal of God, Satan is seeking to disrupt our mind through whatever method he can. Just like Phineas Gage, he can ruin us spiritually by attacking our mind. And what's the best way to attack our minds? To attack our bodies because the brain is part of the body. God is very interested in how we treat our bodies. That's why it's called the temple. That's a very solemn, reverent term in the Bible. You didn't just mess around with the temple. Third John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now that's an amazing statement there. He says, just as much as I want you to have soul prosperity or spiritual prosperity, I want you to have health. I pray that you may, think that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Why would he say that your physical health is just as important as your prospering of your soul. That sounds crazy to us who think of the soul as something that just leaves your body upon death. No, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't teach anything of the sort. It says Adam became a living being. Adam is a living soul. You are a living soul. So God wants your soul, body, mind, emotions, everything to prosper and to be in health, spiritually and physically. Have you ever read the incredible case study of one of the most interesting scientific, scientific health experiments in history? It's in the Bible, actually, in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 has Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as captives in Babylon. And they're invited by the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into his court to be part of his advisory and service team. And along with all the others, they're supposed to be eating the wonderful diet of the king. Uh, alcohol and all sorts of meat. And Daniel and his friends look at that and they say, we can't eat that. That's against God's law. We'll see that in a future broadcast, why they couldn't eat that. But they say, please test us for 10 days and let us eat only that which is sown. The Bible calls it pulse. What in the world is pulse? The Hebrew word is that which is sown. In other words, plants. Let us eat only plants and drink only water. And then test us after 10 days and see if we are as healthy looking and wise and knowledgeable as the others in your court. Well, they go ahead and let them test it out. Daniel and his friends eat only vegetables and plant-based foods and only drink water. After 10 days, they look much healthier and they have wisdom and knowledge that exceeds everybody else. Now that is incredible. By the way, this is sending a message to us too. The book of Daniel is especially relevant to those living in the last days because Daniel 8.14 has a prophecy that is a time prophecy pointing forward to our day, to, to the time post-1844 AD. And it's the book of the Bible that 
points to the very last time of earth's history. It's the latest time prophecy in the whole Bible. So the book of Daniel is meant for us. Jesus said, let the reader of book of Daniel understand what he reads. He said that in Matthew 24, let the reader understand the book of Daniel. So this is an important one for us to be studying the book of Daniel. Is it an accident, a coincidence that the book starts out with this case study on health? Is God trying to communicate something to us here as well as in Romans 14, Romans um, 12 and, and, and 3 John chapter 2, which we just read about the health of the body being related to the health of the mind and the soul? If we're receiving the seal of God in the frontal lobe of the brain, if we're receiving God's laws, his principles, the Sabbath truth, all of this within the frontal lobe of the brain, we're going to want to be of optimum premium health. Daniel is giving us that indication right now because Daniel himself had to receive impressions from the word of God. He made had to make tremendous decisions in this very high position he found himself in, receiving these solemn truths from God. So you can bet that if God is very interested in the renewing of our minds, as it says in Revelation 12, verses 1 and 2, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, my, my apologies. If God is very interested in the health and renewing and transforming of our minds, you know there's going to be an attack upon the frontal lobe of our brains coming in the last days. We'll study that right after the break. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. In research that I personally conducted, it was revealed that for every one hour that the average conservative Christian high school student spends in Bible study, prayer, and devotions, they actually spend, brace yourself for this, 25 hours on video games, movies, and television. If you didn't catch that, that's a 25 to 1 ratio of entertainment to spiritual pursuits. And most students spend no time at all on spiritual things. And we wonder why our youth are struggling? It's saturating our lives. Hollywood, popular music, video gaming, spectator sports, multitasking, and distraction. So what does the latest science say about the mind-altering effects of 21st century media? And what is the spiritual agenda in the entertainment industry? Visit 11th HourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate for the DVD set called Media on the Brain. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that Dispatch.com is the website, and here we are to behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We are here to seek Jesus, to seek His grace in our lives, to literally transform, to, to physically, literally renew our minds so that our spiritual decisions for Him in these last days would be firm commitments would be pleasing to him, glorifying to his name. For he has done so much for us. 
So we've been looking at the frontal lobe of the brain, the seal of God being placed therein in the last days. And we saw that health is important to God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in two different places, in Corinthians and in Philippians, that those who defile the temple and whose God is their stomach, their own pleasures, their own appetites, are actually going to be destroyed. And that's strong counsel. That's, a, that's an intense rebuke. Take that as love from your heavenly father. He's saying, look, if you don't take your temple seriously, the chances that you're going to have the ability in your frontal lobe to make decisions for me in these intense times that are coming are going to wear thin. It's going to be much more difficult for you. He gives us the gift of health in an effort to give us every advantage, to give us a clear mind. And he says, those who defile the temple will be destroyed. Their God is their stomach. Their destiny is destruction, he says in Philippians chapter 3. So how has the enemy of souls come up with ways to damage our spiritual organ of our body, the spiritual epicenter of our person, the frontal lobe of the brain? One of the worst things happening to the brains of people is the use of mind-altering drugs. So as a Christian, when you look at that, you're going, obviously we're not going to use mind-altering drugs because they alter the mind. We want our mind renewed by Jesus Christ, not messed with by narcotics. That's off limits for the Christian. Obviously, they're illegal anyway, and we don't want to break the law. But there's also legal addictive drugs that affect the mind, that make it difficult for you to have a relationship with God that he wants to have with you. Probably the most damaging legal drug in the country today, in the world today, alcohol. The majority of American adults actually consume alcohol at least once per month. Now, we could spend a whole session just breaking down the physiological effects of just one drink. Physiologically, alcohol is bad for you. It's toxic to the liver. It reduces cardiac output. It destroys vital enzymes. It has to be detoxified by the body, so then it makes unnecessary demands upon the immune system. It generates free radicals. It irritates the bladder. It irritates the nerves. Okay, got that. But more importantly for our purposes here, we're talking about the last days, the seal of God, mark of the beast crisis. We're talking about preserving our health so that our mind is in good functioning so that we can perceive divine truths, have conviction to follow Bible truth, and have the self-control and will empowered by the Spirit of God to gain victory over sin so that we can behold Christ in faith. That takes brain power, literally, given by God. Now, if we ruin our minds... And then expect God to come in and save us. That's presumption. That's not faith. That's saying I'm going to live recklessly and God will just save me anyway because he loves me. Well, of course God loves us. But there are certain things God can't do. He can't force our will. He can't force. Well, I suppose he could. He could have the power, but that would not. That would be contrary to his character of love. So he's not going to take somebody who's rebelling against him and force them into obedience. If we make presumptuous decisions to do our own thing and rebel against him, he it says it. There's a there's a sad end to those who are referred to as the wicked and the lost in the Bible. But again, for our purposes here, what are the effects upon the brain of even one drink of alcohol? Listen to this from the University of California Berkeley Wellness Letter, January 1998. Any blood alcohol level, even a blood alcohol concentration of 0.02%, the result of just one drink 
impairs nearly every aspect of the brain's ability to process information. Did you catch that? It is very, very clear from the modern research that one drink damages frontal lobe function. I don't want to have anything to do with something that harms my spiritual nature. You don't do that in moderation. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and harm the spiritual organ of my body where I perceive divine truths, and I'm going to do that in moderation. <laughs> now, of course, God, that was, that was being facetious, of course. We would never do such a thing. And God knew this way, way, way before the modern science, quote, discovered it. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It's a brawler. It's going to brawl with you. If you take one drink of wine, of whatever, it's inviting a fight, an attack, an assault, a brawling upon you spiritually. One drink brawls with your frontal lobe, assaults and attacks your frontal lobe. Proverbs 23 says, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. A serpent. Oh, I remember the serpent in the Bible. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. God is saying, this is the devil's deceiving, looks so good, sparkles in the cup. He says, don't even look at it. The devil is the one who deceiveth the whole world, it says in Revelation. Don't even look at it. The serpent is coming after you with this substance. It's addictive. It looks so good. It promises pleasure, but it's a trap. It's a poisonous snake. It's going to bite you. The New York Times reported that one in six Americans has a drinking problem. One in five people that ever try alcohol develop a drinking problem. One in three Americans say that alcohol has caused a problem in their family. And we still have churches recommending drinking alcohol. It blows my mind. We've got people saying, you, you should go ahead and play with this viper that the Bible says is going to sting you. Go ahead and consume this thing which will brawl with you, which ruins it. one in three American families. One in five people that try it become captive to it. And Christianity is saying, oh, do it in moderation. That's crazy. I know, but we've all got our justification lined up. Paul told Timothy to drink wine, right? Jesus turned water into wine, right? Okay, we've got to study the Bible a little more deeply than just little anecdotes we hear. The word for wine in the Bible can be two different types of drink. The word for wine is oinos, that's the Greek, and it can mean either alcoholic wine or merely grape juice. So Jesus turned water into something, and Paul advised Timothy in 1 Timothy verse 5, chapter 5, verse 23, to have a little of something instead of water. He calls it wine. The Bible calls the substance Jesus turned in from water, calls it wine. But the word there used for wine can mean either alcoholic wine or or grape juice. So we have to figure out which it's talking about. Well, let's think about this. Jesus inspired Solomon to write in the Proverbs that alcoholic wine is a brawler, and it's a serpent, and it's a deceiving thing that's going to bite you and brawl with you and mess with you. So if Jesus turned water into alcoholic wine, the Bible would contradict itself. Paul would be contradicting the Bible when he says, 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Timothy, and drink a little alcohol. That would not be consistent with the Bible. Plus, they're not going to tell their people or or provide wine for people, alcoholic wine, if this is something that ruins so many families and so many lives. Jesus literally created 120 to 180 gallons of wine. And this was at the end of the wedding feast, probably about a gallon per person as as things were winding down in the feast. I just can't accept, based upon what the Bible says about alcohol and wine, that Jesus would bring the keg to the party. That's not the Jesus I know from the Bible. He turned water into grape juice. The English reads as wine because the Greek word for wine is oinos, and it's translated as wine in English. But that Greek word oinos can mean either wine or grape juice. So you have to find a way for the Bible to be consistent with itself. And the only way to do that is to see that Timothy is is being recommended to take a bit of grape juice for his stomach's ailments. Jesus is producing the fresh juice of the grape for the wedding attendees. He's not providing a gallon of alcohol for every person at that feast. That's ridiculous to imagine. Now, in Acts 2... The most amazing statement is made. In Acts 2, that's, this is where the, um, uh, the Pentecost event takes place, where the disciples have tongues of fire appear on their heads, and then they start speaking miraculously in the languages of the people in attendance. And they're spe- they don't know these languages. They're Galileans, and they're now speaking in all these different languages miraculously. It's a powerful scripture that shows the power of God to transmit the gospel message. But it's a strange phenomenon, and people are looking at this in wonder, going, man, what is this? What What is this that's going on with these men speaking to us all in our common tongue, our common language? But it says that not everybody was so amazed. Some of them just mocked the disciples. And it's interesting how they chose to mock them. It says, these men are full of new wine. Now, that's a strange thing to say. New wine wouldn't cause you to – new wine is grape juice. That wouldn't cause you to do crazy things. They're, they're, they're making fun of them saying, well, these guys must be drunk, and that's why they're jabbering on like this. But wait a minute. Why did they say new wine? If they're going to make fun of them for being drunk, they would say these guys have been drinking too much. New wine. Think about this. They're saying – Oh, there's those followers of Jesus. Listen to those men carrying on like that. You know them. They're they're drunk on their uh, on their new wine. <laughs> Making so. If by the way, if you've ever been made fun of at a get together at a party for being known as somebody who only drinks non-alcoholic drinks, you're in good company with these disciples because they went through this too. They said they were they were known as people who only drank their new wine, and ah, these guys must be drunk on their new wine. Ha ha ha. They're, they're so pure and goody two-shoes. You know, the Bible says there's a blessing in new wine. Isaiah 65 verse 8 says, As the new wine, the grape juice, is found in the cluster, and, no one, and, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So what a wonderful, wonderful principle that the Bible lays out. That the blessing is in the grape itself. 
that this is something, by the way, I know red wine is supposed to be good for your heart and so on. Well, it's not the alcohol in, in red wine that's good for your heart. It's the resveratrol, the antioxidants, which come from the grapes. So the research shows you can get just as many antioxidants from eating grapes as you can get from juice or wine. So you don't have to drink wine to fend off heart disease. Eat grapes, eat plants, and your heart disease rates will go down even faster. Ah, what a wonderful blessing from God. Good, tasty plant food. We'll see you next time. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. You might say, okay, I got you. I'm going to definitely stay away from these other actors because that's clearly dabbling in spiritualism if I am going to continue watching these actors because I know that they are confirmed spiritualists. Well, we need to go a little further than that because if you look at the testimony of one insider, Feruza Balk, she was the star of the witchcraft movie, The Craft. And in an interview about witchcraft, she said the following, A lot of actors, um, who don't mention their names, of course, are very much into this. How many actors? A lot. Now, I can't tell you the exact percentage, but I don't want to enter into a world where a lot of the people are confirmed spiritualists into witchcraft. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.